Evidence and Answers. What are the secret teachings of Freemasonry? What does Freemasonry teach about God, Jesus, and the Bible? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Here at Evidence and Answers, Pat has provided a wide assortment of different resources for you and your personal study. From audio messages to books and articles, many are from noted Christian scholars from here in the United States. Head on over to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Let's tune in now as Pat's guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes, reveals the theology behind the Masons. Now, obviously, this is, is really something else. I mean, just think about it, Pat. What if I used the Masonic approach to interpretation and used that same approach in reading Masonic books? What if I approach Masonic books written by Masons with an esoteric method? I could come out making them sound like evangelical Christians. But they wouldn't like that because I would be misrepresenting what they were saying. I could approach the U.S. Constitution and interpret it esoterically and find allegorical meanings and make it look like a socialistic, communistic document. But I would be misrepresenting the Constitution. Likewise, when these guys approach the Bible with an esoteric approach, they are actually going against the intended meanings of the biblical authors. And that's the only meaning that really counts. What did the biblical author really intend to say? And if you read the Bible that way, then there's no getting away from the fact that God is a trinity, that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, that man is fallen in sin and he cannot save himself, and that man needs to trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved, and there is no other way of salvation. Bottom line, Pat, you can understand their motivation, but they're completely wrong in the way they approach the Bible. Right, and you're talking about a literal uh, interpretation, interpreting the Bible in its proper context, syntax, grammar. The grammatical historical interpretation of the Bible. Right. The way I like to put it, you know, when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up in nonsense. And what you have with the Masonic Lodge is nonsense, you know. And if you, like I said, if you take the, the words of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets in a straightforward way, then you're not going to come out believing what Masons believe. By the way, Pat, who was it that created language to begin with? It was God. Right. God created human language. He's the one that made it up. And he made it up not only so that he could communicate with human beings, but so that human beings could communicate with each other. And so a basic, you know, grammatical historical understanding of the biblical text is foundational to understanding what God himself wants us to know. You know, those aren't Ron Rhodes' rules of interpretation. No. Uh, th those are universal. That's what we use every day when we read the paper or look at textbooks. In or, fact, in your book that you wrote with Norman Geisler, do you have a section in there on how Jesus and the apostles interpreted the Old Testament? Yes, you know, they interpreted it literally, unless the literal, you know, did not make sense. So they, they believed in a creation, they believed in Adam and Eve, a literal first man and woman. You know, they believed in all those, uh, you know, big stories that, that uh, a lot of people say are myth today. You know, the thing is, if you're going to say those things are not literally true, 
then you've got to do something with Jesus and the apostles and say they made a mistake, which I'm not willing to do. That's correct. Now, did the Freemasons teach about uh, the afterlife, but what is it they teach about salvation? Well, salvation is basically by ethical living. You know, the step that you want to sort of go back to first is their view of sin. Because as you know from your old theology classes taken back, what was it, back in the days of Moses? That was a long time ago. (laughs) Yes, indeed. A weak view of sin will always produce a weak view of salvation. And that's just a universal rule. A weak view of sin will always produce a weak view of salvation. And so here's what we have. The Masons basically deny that man is fallen in sin, that man is overall good. Man does have some rough edges. You know, he still needs to attain moral perfection, but that's workable. It's workable in terms of just basically taking whatever holy book that you subscribe to and seek to obey the moral instructions found in that book. You know, for example, they will tell you that there's some form of the golden rule in every holy book. You know, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And so basically if you can follow those ethical rules, then you can go up to heaven. And so you're not fallen in sin, you're just imperfect. You've got some rough edges that can be knocked off by following the principles of Freemasonry. In fact, by following Freemasonry, humans can polish up their flawed character and they can warrant heaven. They can earn heaven. And again, those ethical principles can be based on any holy book. Now, you know, here's the thing about that, Pat. Christianity does indeed teach some ethics, but that's not all that Christianity teaches. And, and here's the big difference between Christianity and the other world religions. It's as Ravi Zacharias once put it, the other religions basically try to take bad men and make them better by following ethical principles. Christianity tries to take dead men and make them spiritually alive. There's a huge difference. You know, dead men can't help themselves. Dead men need external help. They need an external savior. We're spiritually dead. We don't just have an ethical problem. We are dead. And that means that we need to come alive by a new birth, and that's available only in Christianity. So while Christianity does have some ethical principles in it, The important thing to recognize is that Christianity also focuses on man's spiritual deadness and man's need to trust in the one true Savior, at which point man becomes regenerated or born anew so that he is then able to go to heaven, not based on human righteousness, but on the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to the Christian's account. And that's something that we call justification. And so, again, Masons don't want to interpret things so specifically. They want to have a very generalized interpretation and an esoteric interpretation of the Bible that skips over all that stuff, but that's just not going to work. If you take the Bible at its straightforward teachings, uh, the Bible is not just a book about ethics. It's also about the fact that you must be born again because you are spiritually dead. Well, is there any teaching then about any kind of judgment or eternal punishment or hell in Masonic teaching? Well, you know, that's what we might call the great omission. The great omission. I mean, that's just the thing that is missing from, you know, Masonic teachings. And, you know, in their thinking, what they want to do is to come across in a consistent way 
And being consistent would be the fact that all the religions teach some form of ethics. And if you started talking about judgment and hell and stuff like that, then that would necessarily mean that their fundamental principles of ethics don't really work. You see, and so I, I, I think that what they're going to do is just avoid talking about it. And I've read an awful lot of, you know, books written by Masons. And what I've discovered is that they just don't talk about it, you know. No mention is made of judgment. No mention is made of hell. But the thing is, the Bible is full of references on these. In fact, Jesus taught us more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And the only reason that they can come across, you know, not believing in hell is by completely ignoring everything that the Christ had to say about it. And so, you know, I think this gets back, Pat, to what I said earlier. A weak view of sin will produce a weak view of salvation. And part of that is the recognition, you know, if there's really no hell and no judgment, then the Masonic viewpoint of just being good people and letting the Masonic Lodge knock off your rough edges that sounds a lot more logical. But if it is true that there is a hell and that there is a judgment, and at that judgment, the only thing that's going to fly is whether or not you've trusted in the one true Savior, Jesus Christ, then the Masonic Lodge is in big trouble. Now, we hear a lot about the rituals there in Freemasonry. Is there a connection to occultism and paganism and the mystery religions in Freemasonry? Well, that's a great question. There is a connection between all of these things, and I think I need to make a clarification. And the clarification is this. When you join the first initial level of Freemasonry, it's called Blue Lodge Freemasonry. Most of the people that join up with Blue Lodge Freemasonry basically join up as a fraternal organization. You know, very often it's businessmen who are looking for business connections, knowing that if they can make those connections, that that's going to enhance their own business. And the more that they can all succeed in their businesses together, the more that they could spend money on doing good things ethically, you know, like building hospitals for children and stuff like that. So they're not so interested in religious issues at that point. And the thing is, is that there are multiple degrees in Freemasonry. And once you move beyond Blue Lodge Freemasonry, you're going to start to encounter a number of things, including mystery religions and occultism. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And in fact, one of the common forms of occultism that's inherent in Freemasonry is what's called Kabbalism. And Kabbalism has been around for a very, very long time. It's basically an occultic philosophy that developed among the Jewish people in Babylonia. And they've got sort of an esoteric method of interpreting scripture. It's an occultic system that uses an occultic myth method of interpreting the Bible that uses numerology and other, other systems. This is very, very common in Freemasonry. In fact, if you read any Masonic lodges, uh, uh, books at all by Freemasons, one of the words you can see come up over and over again is Kabbalism. In fact, Albert Pike says that uh, Kabbalism is at the very heart of Freemasonry, even though he confesses that, and I quote, the Kabbalah is the key of the occult sciences. So it's like an implicit admission that occultism is pen parcel of the Masonic Lodge. And of course, the mystery religions are also very common in the Masonic Lodge as well. In fact, the more that I read Masonic Lodge books, 
the more I came across various references to Egyptian deities. Now, I'm talking about like uh, Isis and Osiris and some other Egyptian deities. And there's something intrinsically appealing to mysteries. That's one of the reasons why people like Dan Brown books. They like Dan Brown because he's got all these mysteries that he talks about. So there is a connection between Freemasonry and the ancient, you know, Egyptian deities, uh, not just Isis and Osiris, but also Serapis and Apis and the sun god Ra and Hermes and Orpheus and Horus and just quite a number of others. And here's the thing, Pat. When you come to recognize that you've got this kind of connection with the ancient Egyptian mystery religions and occultism, my question must be asked again, how could a Christian join? I know I sound like a broken record, but there are so many Christians that have joined the Masonic Lodge. I want that message to come through loud and clear. No Christian should join up with this organization. Yes, and you know, with these rituals, I understand they carried over into Mormonism. Did Joseph Smith borrow some of these rituals in the uh, temple rituals there with the Mormon religion? Well, I, I think that this, it's undeniable uh, that he did. In fact, uh, the Tanners in Utah, the Utah Lighthouse uh, Mission, uh, have actually put out a book that pretty well establishes all of that. And, uh, you know, i got to tell you that you know, you've opened up yet another can of worms in terms of uh, why Christians should not join, because the rituals are barbaric. They are absolutely barbaric. And, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't get very specific about it just because I know that there could be some, possibly some children within uh, walking distance of the radio in people's homes there. But the fact is, is that there's some genuine, scary violence that is a part of the ritual. And it's not just a ritual where the Christian says that he needs the light of Freemasonry. But, uh, you know, in protecting the secrets of Freemasonry and in protecting the oaths that are made there and in protecting the ceremony itself, the Christian is made to offer a vow to do things to himself that are quite violent. And that raises the question again, should a Christian join that type of an organization? Now, you're right. I mean, this connection with Mormonism is just one more tie with cultism. And uh, so it's not just the mystery religions, it's not just occultism, there's also the connection with cultism. And so it's going from bad to worse, isn't it? Yes, you know, in fact, uh, the uh, one of the oaths of the Blue Lodge, as you stated, says that, you know, he promises to keep the secrets of the Masonic Lodge, and he says, and it says here, quote, binding myself under no less penalty of than to have my throat cut across, my tongue torn out by my roots, <laughs> my body buried in the rough sand. That's what I was trying sea. to avoid saying yeah. for the kids' sake. But go yeah. ahead and say it. You know, buried in the rough sands of the sea at the lower water mark. Yeah, so those are some pretty barbaric kind of oaths you're taking there. Well, it is barbaric. And, you know, the thing of it is, talk to people who have gone through the ceremony, and even though there is that barbaric element, you know, people love mystery and people love this sense of ritual. In fact, one of the reasons why certain ritualistic churches have become popular is because they've got rituals. It's not the teaching, but it's the rituals themselves. So rituals are very popular among some people. But the thing of it is, some of these Masons will come back and say, well, I doubt that this has ever really been carried out. 
you know, you mentioned the slitting of the throat and the tongue and, and so forth. They'll say, well, we doubt that that's ever been carried out. But you know what? Even that's open to debate, Pat. You know, there are some historical uh, questions about that. There are some cases that have emerged where apparently it has been carried out. And uh, the very fact that it has been, it, it almost sounds like a religious mafia to me. You know, uh, certainly the Masonic Lodge is more than, than the violent aspect there. But uh, if indeed that policy has been carried out, doesn't that sound just like something the mafia would do? Yeah. You know, and, and I'm wondering what is the, uh, you mentioned a little bit of it, but the the attraction of this group. I mean, many people point to the fact that many presidents have been part of the Masonic oh, yeah. Lodge. And many of our founding fathers have been part of the Masonic Lodge. So it can't be too bad, can it? Well, not only that, but if you look at a lot of the Christian universities that exist in our country today, you'll find that a good number of those presidents of Christian universities are members of the Masonic Lodge. And it even goes beyond that. You'll also find that every president in the history of the university, and I'm talking only about certain universities, every president in the history of the universities has been a member of the Masonic Lodge. And so you ask yourself, you know, if you've got the president of, of this Christian university joining, then it can't be all bad, can it? If you have, like, some uh, well-known Christian pastors that are joining the Masonic Lodge, it can't be all bad. If you've got virtually tens of thousands, who, who knows how many Christians are joining up at the Masonic Lodge, it can't be all bad, can it? But, you know, I want to address that. You see, our measuring stick for what is good is not what other people are doing our measuring stick is the Word of God. And the Word of God is very clear in terms of the veracity of the Bible. And by the way, that's not circular reasoning. You know, when you have Paul talking about the writings of Peter, and Peter talking about the words of Paul, and the apostles talking about the Old Testament, those were distinct separate books. That's not arguing in a circle. And the historical evidence that we have for the Bible is just amazing. But the point that I'm going to make is, is that the Bible is absolutely clear on who Jesus is, it's absolutely clear on who God is. It's absolutely clear on what man's problem is. And it's absolutely clear on what the solution to that problem is. And I'm talking about the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, with that as my measuring stick, that is my determining factor in whether or not I should join the Masonic Lodge. You know, I don't want to do what everybody else is doing because didn't Jesus himself said, wide is the road that leads to destruction? You know, Pat, fast food is really popular today. Does that mean it's good for me? Probably not. Pornography is really popular today on the Internet. Does that mean I should mess around with that? Absolutely not. You don't want to make your decisive factor what everybody else is doing, but rather you want to test all things against the Word of God like the Bereans did in Acts 17, and like Paul said in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things and hold on to the good. We test all things against the Word of God and only hold on to those things which measure up to the Word of God. When I test the Masonic Lodge against the Word of God, it falls short massively. Well, you make a great point in that Christians should not be a part of this organization, but suppose I'm in the health profession and one of the organizations that wants to hire me is the Shriners Hospital, or, or what if my child needs some special care and it's provided for by the Shriners Hospital? I mean, what would you recommend there? Well, you know, that's kind of a different issue, and I want to be very careful in how I answer that because I, I am 
probably right in saying that somebody listening to my voice had a child or somebody that's helped, been helped by a Shriners Hospital. Now, here's a, a very important point. If you're going to divorce yourself from every organization, like a hospital or grocery store or, you know, other kind of you know, facility, simply because it's owned by somebody you don't agree with religiously, you're going to have to move to the hills, Okay. <laughs> You've got major shopping centers owned by the Mormons and many other businesses owned by them as well. Yes, you've got hospitals that have been built by the Shriners, but the very fact that those have been built using monetary funds by people that you don't agree with religiously does not mean that you cannot take your child to get economical help at a Shriners hospital. It doesn't mean that I can't go to a store and shop and buy food you know, for my family from a store that's owned by somebody that I don't agree with religiously. What I hope to do is through being a light and being salt in our society is to affect the people who are, you know, believing religiously what some of those organizations have, you know, been founded upon. And so for the Shriners, for example, you know, they think that they're doing a good thing and it is a good thing to build hospitals, but the problem with their viewpoint is that they think it leads to their salvation. By doing good things like that, that's going to contribute to their salvation. So what I would do in that case is that I would want to be light and salt, communicating that that's not what saves you, that salvation is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the way I look at it, Pat. You may have a different view on that, do you? No, I, I completely agree with you, you know. Otherwise, I can't go to a public school or, you know, many Can't go them. anywhere. Yeah, really. Starbucks or whatever, you know. You right. Know. Well, those are some wise words there. Well, Ron, as we close, I mean, if people want more information on this, you've just touched the tip of the iceberg here. Where can they get more information? Well, you could consult some of my books on the topic. I, I did write a book called Reasoning from the Scriptures with Masons, and there's another book called The Ten Most Important Things You Need to Know About Masons. And one is long, one is short. So if you want the bottom line, the Ten Things book is the way to go. If you want the full story, the Reasoning book is the way to go. Now, Reasoning for the Scriptures with Masons is available in many used bookstores, and you can also get it on Amazon from used retailers. The book did go out of print with its, uh, you know, after it ran its course, but it is still available out there. And it's also available as an e-book, you know, if you have Kindle or, uh, or the Nook or one of those other e-readers out there. And so that might be the way to go as well. Yeah, and also you've got a terrific uh, website there. Tell us about it. Yeah, a reasoning from the scriptures. You can just go over to ronroads.org. That's R O N R H O D E S dot org. And there's a lot of articles that you can actually download. Another thing that we actually sell is a um, CD ROM that has 10 of the most popular ebooks, including Reasoning from the Scriptures with Masons. And that's 10 books for only $39.95. Now, we don't even keep the money for that, we give all that money to the ministry that's one of the ways that the ministry keeps on going and so we've got a number of other resources that are sold none of us take any money from that we it's a completely volunteer organization i don't take a salary we don't ask for money you know it's just one of those things that we're just doing because uh, we love apologetics and despite the fact that it's all volunteers we're able to reach virtually tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of people per year with the truth of jesus christ fantastic yes and that whole series reasoning from the scriptures with muslims with mormons with jehovah witnesses 
great series there. Very practical insights and tips you can use when engaging people of other uh, belief systems. Uh, I've got most of uh, that series there uh, in my library. Very valuable series there. Well, Ron, thanks for being on the show once again and, and bringing insight into this mysterious organization. It's always a pleasure, Pat. Thanks. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Today's message concludes this study on Freemasonry. To listen again, head on over to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you would like to partner with us, please start with prayer. And then to donate, log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us here next time or on the web for more evidence and answers. <laughs>